0: I'd like to call you up just one more time and welcome you to the family Thank you. and I just want to remind you family uh, to take an opportunity to meet Jim ask him to tell you a story like I said you might want to have Richard standing next to him while you do that because I think it's a story that both of them might uh, shed some light in and on. We just want to welcome you to the church family. This is a, just a certificate in commemoration of your baptism. And uh, the, today's date and signed by myself and Catherine. She's the, uh, the church clerk, so she's also the signature there. There's a, a little gift here for you to uh, start your work as a devotional book and just to introduce you to a little bit of the background and the story of the Adventist church. And uh, we just wanted to say welcome to the family. Thank so. Thank you. At some point, perhaps uh, we should have uh, you and Richard just get up and kind of give us a little a bit of the background, of the story here that led you to this moment. Um, this is an interesting day for me, uh, particularly because um, all of us have connections that lead us to Jesus. I've shared with you before that um, I believe that in all of our lives, when we get to heaven, we would be able to trace our spiritual legacy. All of us, when we get to heaven, will be able to say, hey, I want to follow the line that led to me from Jesus. And we'll be able to track that line, link for link for link, and, and track it back through those links to the very first of the disciples or the very first person whom Jesus touched, who told somebody, 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 who told me. That link, part of that heritage for me, are the Steffeses. Arlen was my first pastor. So when I came to the Adventist church as kind of an obnoxious 13-year-old kid, um, and I started attending his church, he built that first link in my life. He was my first pastor. So any mistakes I make preaching, any problems I have with the way I go about this, you can ask him about it. <laughs> But he was the first example of a pastor, first example of a pastor's family. And the two of them stood in front of our congregation. And for me, as a very, very uh, young, new, not even really minted yet believer... They were, those, they were the people making that initial impact. And to share in this day-to-day with you and to, to be present and to be, take part in Jim's baptism today is a great sort of completion of that circle for me. So thank you for the honor of doing that and thank you, Jim, for allowing me to be part of it. Today I want to talk about taking on the yoke of Jesus. And I wore my tie... And I wore a jacket. Now, I didn't go full suit today, so it won't be complete lawyer's description, but I'm coming in your kitchen today. We're going to sit down at the table, and we're going to do a little business, okay? Today I want to talk to you about the shift to discipleship. That spiritually you are not naturally bound for discipleship. We've talked about the idea that no one walks or no one floats along. In a path toward Jesus. We float along away from Jesus. We have to strive to follow Jesus. We have to swim against the current. We have to make decisions that take us in that direction. Part of that is simply being here this morning. It is much easier to sleep in on a Saturday morning than it is to come to church. Isn't that true? I'll tell you. For me... One of the biggest sacrifices I made back when I was a 13-year-old kid, going to the Adventist church, one of the biggest sacrifices I made was Saturday morning cartoons. Now you may not think that's a big deal, but that's a big deal to me. I'd been watching Saturday morning cartoons in the peace of the early morning without my parents for a decade by then. And now I had to give that up and go to church. It's a discipleship decision to go to church. It's a shift away from the norms of behavior to show up in church. It is at least a willingness to address the idea of being a disciple. So this morning, I want to argue that the curious become disciples when seeing the so. Loved truth. If you were not here last week, I just want to remind you of this 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 word in this famous passage. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. For God so loved the world. This is this is serious love. This is falling down, I don't know what to do my do with myself love. This is I can't think of anyone else, love. This is I lay in bed at night and I dream about you, love. This is so loved, the world. This is love beyond the ordinary. This is love outside the extraordinary. This is love beyond imagining. This is so loved. This is passionate. This is compassionate. This is God's Spirit reaching out to grab you and ask you if you'll come home. So love the world. That when we are confronted with the the reality that we are so loved by God, when we are confronted with the reality of that depth of love, of that powerful description of who He is, when we are confronted with that, we begin to shift toward discipleship. That it is not it is not information that makes disciples. It is not knowledge that makes disciples. It is an alignment with a heartbeat that makes disciples. Jesus did not start his discipleship program in a library. Jesus did not start His discipleship program the way the rabbis do, by giving assignments for things to learn and things to understand. Jesus didn't start His discipleship program in a theology school or a seminary. And all of those kinds of things were available to Him. Jesus started discipleship school number one by inviting an unlikely chorus of rather ignorant, but also oh, so willing men to spend some time with Him. Discipleship is the alignment of two hearts with one beat. By definition, discipleship is a person. A disciple is someone who is following someone else and attempting to, to tell others about that other First John, and I like, I, I'm, I'm more and more becoming a, a fan of John, because I think most of John's books are written after he's had some time to think about this thing. He's not in a rush to get the biography down. He's, he's, he's taken some time to consider this thing. And over some period of time, as John has begun to think about how this whole thing plays out, he begins to write. The book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The book of Revelation while he's in jail. But catch this from 1st John. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In this, the, oh man, I so love those guys, was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In other words, there's no other way to life. He continues, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be that substitute, to be that one who stood between, to be the propitiation for our (laughs) sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Step one. Recognize that you are so loved. Recognize that the cross is not a a, a weird, weird manifestation of the death penalty. The cross is a manifestation of a heart willing to sacrifice anything just so I had the chance to choose heaven. So loved. So loved he would risk that just so we could decide. Just so we could get a chance to make the next link in the chain. Just so we could get a chance to say, okay, I'll follow. No, no guarantees of success. No guarantees that we would even choose. Billions have been born and lived in this planet who didn't, didn't want him. Who completely rejected the ultimate sacrifice of his son. He died because he so loved every one of us that he couldn't imagine not doing the last possible thing to get us home. If, we're, if it were a plot in a movie, no one would believe it. Nobody makes this kind of sacrifice. I mean, a, certainly a person would sacrifice for their friend, but for their enemy. Wow. Who does that? Who lays out that kind of risk with no guarantee? Who does that? Jesus, that's who. God, that's who. Somebody who so loves you, that's who. Here's an interesting little quote that I came across. Just listen to the impact of this. His love touches the whole being. The whole being. Every vital part, the brain, the heart, the nerves, it touches with healing. Here's the question, guys. Have you experienced that kind of transformation inside? When spirituality... When the love of Christ, when the depth of how much He loves becomes a reality, it starts to do something internally that's not just spiritual. It is spiritual, but it's beyond just spiritual. It affects you physically. Right? Some of you have told me stories of driving along the freeway when, so, when one day all of a sudden you realize that God actually did love you and you had to pull over because you were balling and couldn't keep driving. He physically touches you when you really recognize how deeply and completely He loves you. You see, a disciple is made when you begin to understand that fact, when you begin to understand the heart of the Messiah, when you begin to understand the heart of God, when you begin to understand how much you're loved, that's when the kind of sacrifice it takes to become a disciple becomes yours and mine because you're constantly swimming against the current swimming the current swimming against the current of your own culture swimming against the current of your own heart swimming against the current of your habits swimming against the current of your sin swimming against the current of your selfishness swimming against the current of your pride swimming against the current of your whole life that's discipleship When I came to Jesus, I would have to argue that I was just curious. I wasn't interested in becoming a disciple. I wasn't interested in becoming a Christian. I was interested in a Christian girl who sits right there. And I was curious. I was curious. I was interested in the arguments being made. I was interesting, interested in the logic that made sense. I was interested in the presentation of information. I, I was curious about what was happening. I began to pay attention to the links that were being built in the argument. I was not converted. In fact, I became a believer. I stepped into the baptismal tank unconverted. Absolutely convinced but not transformed. Absolutely certain that this was a biblical representation, that these people were telling me the truth. I was certain that this is what the Bible was saying, but I was not transformed. I had not understood, I had not been touched by the fact that the love of God, once it gets inside of you, touches every vital organ of your body and transforms not just your spiritual life but your entire life your physical life your spiritual life your thought life your choices everything starts to change when you know at your core that you are loved you begin to make different decisions now I would have to tell you I'm still having to keep this up it is still a swim against the current for me It is still true that I I struggle all the time. I want to fit into the culture. I want to fit in with the people around me. I don't want to be the odd guy sticking out all the time. And God is still transforming how I live, but He's got a hold of who I am. That's a discipleship shift. John continues in the book of John, first chapter, St. John. John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples, verse 36, and looking at Jesus, he walked, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So what's the very first thing in this, in this story, this little bitty story that's being told? John makes an observation to those who are around him, right? So I walk into a church. I'm going to this church because I was invited and I could get my merit badge through the Pathfinder group if I could go for six weeks in a row because they were, they were cutting me in on a sneaky sly side move that I didn't have to bring anybody to church because I'd never been to church. They, I could bring myself or, or in this case bring my brother and he could get credit for bringing me. So we could slide in the back door and finish off this badge, this merit badge we were working in. When we arrived, I discovered that the girl that I'd been looking at at the Pathfinder Club was attending the same church. How that didn't enter my mind before that, I do not know. And so I stayed and I finished my six weeks to get my merit badge, which, by the way, took me like 20 years to actually get. I had to go to the Pathfinder leader in a church that I was pastoring and say, Look, I never got my merit badge. They finally gave it to me. Those of you who have never been Boy Scouts, this is a big deal. Sometimes with the Pathfinder thing, you just kind of pass these merit badges off like they're not. I, got, I was in Boy Scouts. Merit badges were significant. Finally got it at about 40. But I began to hear the voice of some people in that church. The pastor, Sabbath school teachers, leaders, people who were just walking the faith say, Behold, the Lamb of God. They didn't say, Look at us, we're cool. Look at me, I'm awesome. They just said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And it began to catch my attention. It began, to, it began to encourage my curiosity. They just started pointing me at something to learn and something to understand. They just started saying, hey, look, over there is what you're looking for. Over there is what you really hear about. You may think you're here for the girl, but you're actually here for Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. The girl ignored me by, for, for a decade, by the way. Yeah, awe is right. The two disciples heard him speaking and they followed Jesus. The two disciples who heard him say behold the lamb of God. The two disciples, they saw Jesus walk away and they just got up and started walking after him. I love these guys. You know what I love about this? I love the fact that they saw an opportunity and they seized the opportunity. They said, hey, it looks to me like John has just, deci- just described the Messiah and he's going that way. Let's go with him. If you're looking at your life and you're saying, hey, the Messiah's going that way and it's not the same way you're going. Maybe you ought to decide, hey, let's go that way. Because that way leads home. If you're going in a different direction, it's not going anywhere. He said, behold, the Lamb of God and two disciples heard him speak. And they said, "Okay, we'll follow Jesus. And then Jesus turned, seeing them follow, said, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? Why are you following me? Isn't that a great question for your spiritual life? Isn't that a great question to be asked every morning when we get up and we say, "Okay, Lord, I'm on your trail. I'm going with you today. Isn't it great? Isn't it a great question to just consider the fact that Jesus may be turning around, looking at you that morning and saying, so what are you following me for today? What are, we pl- what are your plans? Are you really? Are we, are we really in this together? What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? They don't have anything to say. This is, this is gap filler material, right? This is what you do when you don't know what to say. You fill it with something. I'm really good at this. I'm a very verbal guy I can almost always find something to fill the gaps with if it gets quiet in a room I can speak you get that uncomfortable every 15 minute quiet part of a, of a room you know you're in a big gathering of people you're all sitting around about every 15 minutes it gets quiet it's like the clock runs down on whatever story someone was telling and all of a sudden it gets quiet and there's this little break and everybody kind of looks around at each other like okay Walt say something I'm that guy and you know if you're that person right? You already know if that's you. You're the gap filler. You start the next level. You get that next 15 minutes going for these people because they're terrified that no one's going to say anything for the rest of the day. You know it's not going to happen. you got stuff to say. They just said, "Uh, uh, uh, where are you staying? Holiday? Marriott? We have points. He said to them, come and see. You want to know where I'm going? Come and see. No, I'm not telling you where it is. Come and see where it is. Come and see. And they came. And they saw. That's all discipleship is. We complicate it with all sorts of things. We usually complicate it with information. We, I have to be trained in order to be a disciple. I have to learn stuff in order to be a disciple. After this, I have to do that. I have to do that. No, 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 no. Come and see, go. He says, come and see. They came and they saw. Simple as that. They were told, behold, the lamb. They started following because that seemed like a good direction to go. They wanted to know, or he wanted to know why they were following. And they didn't know. They asked the only question they could ask. And he said, all right, if that's the only question you got, that's the only question I'm answering. You want to know where I'm going? Come and see. They came and they saw. I love, I love the simplicity of this. They came, they saw where he was saying. And then they hung out all day. That's all they did. And they would spend the next three years doing just that one thing. Let's stop for a sec. Stop from the train of thought you're in right now. I need you back. Okay? I know some of you are hungry and you're thinking about lunch. And some of you had something bad for breakfast and you're thinking about your stomach some of you are sleepy just for a minute. I just need you for a second. Okay? If we spent three hours, or three years, just doing that, what would it do to our lives? If we spent three years just saying, where are you going? Can I come? And going. And then just spending that day with Jesus. How would that revolutionize our lives? I mean, it transformed these guys in every single way. These guys' jobs changed. These guys stopped doing what they were doing professionally. They they left a full boat of fish when Jesus said, Come, let's be fishers of men. They left the entire thing. James, John, John. Peter all left what they were doing and followed after Jesus. And all they did, all they did for three years was follow Him around. Where are we going today? I don't know. Come, let's see. And he went and they saw and they spent that day with Him. And they went the next day and they saw the next day and they spent that next day with Him. And that's all they did. That's all they did. That's all they did. And they learned to know His heart. Learned to follow His steps. And they became disciples. Is that not a cool deal to you? They spent one day with Jesus and it changed the rest of their days. But they just kept repeating that one day. Over and over again. For the next thousand days. They just kept going after that same thing. Where are we going today, Jesus? You know, White actually says he didn't always plan. He just waited to hear what God wanted him to do that day. So he couldn't even tell these guys some days where he was going. Wakes up in the morning, they say, where are we going? Jesus says, I don't know. We're just going to go. Pack up the stuff, we're going to go. They pack up the stuff and they just go and he just, they, they just follow wherever he leads. Wow. And then, I want, I want that voice like you have um, at, in the old movies, you know. The old movies you used to watch. When they would say, and meanwhile, back at the ranch. And then, one of the two who heard John speak that day. Remember what John said? Huge theological statement. He made this 45 minute sermon about Jesus and his presence in the world. Now, all he said was, behold, the Lamb of God. Hey, over there. Look at that, guys. shiny object. Really shiny. Behold the Lamb of God. One of those who heard those words, one of those who heard John speak, followed him. And that was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And Andrew went and first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. You know what I think happened? The Messiah found them. They just thought they were the ones who did the finding. They were the ones who were lost. Jesus wasn't lost. He didn't need to be found. They didn't find him. He found them. We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Andrew brought Peter to to Jesus. He walked into the camp where Jesus was and he said everything he knew about theology. Behold the lamb. Hang with him. We'll be good. Cuz that's all he'd learned, right? That's all he had learned from John. We think we have found the Messiah. Come see. Behold. I think our evangelism would be a lot easier if that was what we were doing. You know? I think a lot of us complicate matters a lot by trying to do the Spirit's work and trying to do the Father's work and trying to do all the teaching in that first moment before somebody can get a chance to even decide whether they want to follow Jesus. Instead of just saying, hey, follow Him. Where He's going is awfully cool. They go, oh, wow. You're kind of loading a lot of junk on me. I'm not sure I can do this. What if we just said, behold the Lamb. Follow Jesus. It'll be cool. I love that evangelistic line. That evangelism is basically saying, hey, I discovered Jesus, here He is, follow Him, it'll be cool. You know how many times I've been tempted to do something wrong because somebody said, it'll be cool. Man, all of my high school was basically based on that. Hey, do this, it'll be cool. Try that, it'll be cool. As an adult, you're not supposed to be following, it'll be cool anymore, but it still does get us, doesn't it? What is a commercial on television but simply somebody saying, hey, eat this. It'll be cool. Look at all these other cool people who are doing it. Right? What if evangelism just got down to simply that? Here's Jesus. Follow Him. It'll be cool. You'll like this. It's going to change everything, but it's going to be so cool. You know why? Because you are so loved. Wow. And then... When Jesus looked at him, Peter, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. Now wouldn't that freak you out? You walk into a room first time you met somebody and your friend says, Hey, go follow him, and you walked in, your brother says, That's the Messiah, I think, and you walk in and you look at it, he goes, Whoa, ha <laughs> yeah, I know you. How do you know me? Where do you know me from? They took that poster down to the post office. I dumped my entire internet account. You can't possibly know me. I know you. You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Rocky. You see, pebble doesn't really fit. Little rock doesn't even really fit. Rocky. You shall be called Cephas. And again, making sure we understand, John says, which is translated, a stone. You know why John translates this as stone instead of Rocky? Because John wishes he had that cool of a nickname. Maybe. I'm planning on getting to heaven to ask. You? It'll be cool. And then, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. So you know what these guys did? They followed. Deeply theological point. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Are you getting a theme here? And you know what he said? He said, Philip, follow me. It'll be cool. Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Do you think Peter and Andrew may have said, hey, we got this buddy. Let's go to his house. We're looking for disciples. Let's go check out Philip, see if he might be in. He's been looking for the Messiah for a while. We've been talking about this. Let's go to his house. Do you see how evangelism naturally works? Do you understand what the process really is? Salesmen have been doing this for a hundred years, maybe a thousand years. Hey, do you have anybody else who might be interested in buying what I'm selling? They're simply saying, hey, hey, you know, we have this friend. He lives in the same village, the same community we live in. Hey, wh- why don't you go and why don't we go and see him? They go to Philip's house. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, "We have found him, whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." Now I like I like the answer here. You see, this is the first time we've run up against somebody who went, I don't know about this. This is kind of a crazy story. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? The Messiah? Nazareth? Come on! No! Philip said to him, Philip said, Come and see. Does this look hard to you? Because what you're seeing right here is the process for discipleship. You're confronted with Jesus, you decide to follow, and you invite your friend, hey, come check this out. It'll be cool. Come and see this. Come and try this. Come and see for yourself. I can't really tell you the answers to these questions you have, but he can. Come and see what answers he gives. Come on. What's it going to hurt? Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Jesus would collect 12 disciples. They would travel with Him for the next three years. They would ask questions and get the final phrase and make loads, tons, rings, libraries full of mistakes. Right? I love the fact that the Bible lets me see the mistakes people make. I love the fact that I got to see David blow it. I love the fact that I got to see Jacob who was a loser until the very end. I love to see the fact that I get to see all of these people who are living a life more similar to mine than what I want mine to be. And the disciples live with Jesus and they ask questions and make a lot of mistakes and they finally begin to understand the heart of God and they transform the entire world history changes because these guys followed that guy. The stakes in the game I'm trying to describe for you is huge. This is what we do. We've gotten this confused. When Jesus left us our final calling in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go and make disciples. Everything after that is a description of process. Go and make disciples. And then all the other stuff is description of process. So what's the business that we're in? We're in the disciple business. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the disciple business. And you saw how it works, right? You saw the business model, right? First guys, they're told by their... Friend who is a leader and who's been given a revelation from God, John the Baptist, hey, there goes the Messiah. And they go, Hey, we like you. We like him better. See ya. And they follow Jesus. And they spend the whole day with them. And they tell a friend who tells his brother. Who tells a friend who tells his brother? And pretty soon Jesus has a whole cadre of men who will follow Him for the next three years and change the world. doesn't seem that complicated, does it? We've built an entire history of Christianity on complicating and trying to fully understand things that are so much bigger than our little tiny brains. But can we just get it as simple as possible? We're in the discipleship business. That's what we're in. How do we do it? Jesus said, by this all men, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. What is the loving thing to do to a, for a person, not to a person, for a person who doesn't know Jesus? Say, hey, have you met Jesus? Check it out. Follow Him. It'll be cool. And why do we do it? Because he so loves us. And he so loves them. So, so far you've said you wore a suit and a tie for this today. Here we go, folks. I'm sliding the contract across the table right now. I've built the story. I've told you what this is about. I've told you this is a winnable game. Right? So the question is, do you want to spend the rest of your one and only life doing something worth doing or killing time? Seriously. Contracts on your side of the table. Pens in your hand. Do you want to spend what's left of your one and only life doing something that has eternal consequences or just killing time? Just waiting for the grim reaper? Just waiting to sign that last document that turns everything you own over to somebody else? Just waiting for the lawyer to show up at your house and read your will? Or do you want to spend it doing something that makes an eternal difference in somebody else's life? Do you or do you not want to sign up today? Maybe again. Maybe for the first time. Maybe this is the only time it's ever been this serious to you. Do you want to commit yourself? Today, contracts on your side of the table to following Jesus wherever He happens to take you. He said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I just want you to get the first phrase. This is the path of swimming against the current. Know that going in. It'll be so cool. It'll be so awesome. You'll be so much stronger at the end of the day than you are right now. Swimming with the current doesn't take any real strength. It doesn't build any real solid stamina in your life. But swimming against the current, swimming against the cultural current, and the selfish current, and the prideful current, swimming against the current, that changes people. German concentration camps have been sources of horror, and presented us with pictures of amazing, amazing, amazing valor. True story. The people in a concentration camp, this was a work camp, were sent out to do their work. While they're out doing their work, while they're out there doing whatever, they hear that somebody's escaped. Every single person has the same worry. Did the person who escaped escape from our barracks? Because the punishment is severe. They get back that, after that evening and a group from a particular barracks finds out it's them. Finds out that They're the ones in for the punishment. The next morning they're dragged out and made to stand at attention in the sun. The morning goes by. The afternoon goes by. The whole day goes by. And the commandant comes out. After they've been standing there all day long. And he says, we have not been able to find the escaped prisoner. So 10 of you are going to die of starvation. And he just starts naming names. And as he starts running through the names, he names a man who had been captured. He was a Polish soldier. And he begins to weep. And as he begins to weep, he says, My my wife and my children. What about my wife and my children? The Nazi commandant doesn't care. These ten men are dragged out of line and prepared for their death. When out of the group of men who have been standing there from the barracks all day long, someone steps forward. As he steps to the front of the line, the guard looking over these men from this barracks sticks a rifle in his chest and the commandant says, what do you want? He says, I'm a priest. I have no wife. I have no children. Let me die for him. And everything gets really quiet. The whole group in the barracks stops shuffling. It's like no one is breathing. And a long pause goes by. And the commandant says, Fine. And they put the father and the husband back in line and they take the priest who will spend the next several days starving to death. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what you're going to get to do. You might get to give your life for someone else. How cool would that be? I mean, I don't see anybody signing up for it right now, but pushed up against it in the power of Christ, in the knowledge that you are so loved, you might just make that stand someday. How cool would that be? To step in front And take someone else's place, like Jesus did for you. In Isaiah chapter 50, looking forward to Jesus coming, Isaiah describes what's going on with him. And what's going on, therefore, with every disciple since then he says the lord has given me the tongue of the learned would you hang that title on any of these disciples probably not had they get the tongue of the learned how was it that when they when they spoke in front of the pharisees the pharisees said how can these unlearned men speak like this and they took note that they had been with jesus The Lord has given me the tongue of the Lord that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. That's us. That's the day. That's what happens when you follow Jesus. You choose to follow Jesus and you learn that God loves you so amazingly that it changes everything. And you get up the next day and you just follow him again and just keep learning and you just keep discovering and you just keep coming across this reality. And one day, someone who is really weary needs a word of encouragement. And Jesus sends you to the front of the line and says, Would you tell him? Would you tell him? Tell him that I love him. Tell him I won't forsake him. Tell him, come what may, I'll go with him. Tell him he can follow me, and it'll be so cool. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we're such a mess, your church. A whole bunch of us spend time pointing figures at others of us. And, and we think that's church. And we think that's what you want us to be. And we think that's what you want us to do. So often we just shake our fists at the weary and we blame them for their weariness. Ha. We forget that we have been broken. And that we are weary. And that it was Jesus who lifted us up. Father, we've been sitting here looking at our kitchen table and there's a contract on and a pen in our hand. And we're trying to decide whether or not we're going to follow just for tomorrow and then the next day and then the next. Give us the courage to sign on the line. Give us the eyes to see by the power of your Holy Spirit a signature in blood just across the page that this will be the most important and most amazing decision we ever make. I choose you today. I choose to follow for one more day day Tuesday Wednesday I choose Jesus I choose to